definitely creating content that helps people is really the solution. What really works is building a community, consistently doing events like webinars, and producing content specifically for certain categories. You earn that raise and you earn that job. Welcome to Future Fuzz the Digital Marketing Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next edition of Future Fuzz, the Digital Marketing Podcast. I'm delighted to welcome onto the show today, Adrian Liu from Ebate. Hello, Adrian. How are you doing? Hi, Justin. I'm very well. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you for coming on today. It's uh, great to have you on the podcast. Well, before we begin, I'd just love to um, and dive into the subjects. I'd love to hear a bit about your background and some of your experiences and the companies you've worked in, Adrian. Yes, I would say my background is pretty varied. I started uh, by setting up my own agency, digital agency, back in 1990s in Romania, where I come from originally. So I learned very quickly, you know, the commercial challenges of setting up a new business. I have a doctorate in uh, data and uh, computer graphics. I worked in all sorts of companies, starting with software engineer and moving upwards in positions like CTO and head of innovation, head of strategy, COO, which is my recent position. And I've also been CEO for a startup in London. I've been also involved in um, M&A activity on the sort of um, seller and buyer side. And I worked in uh, mostly startups and scale-ups. But I have some experience on the board of a PLC, so a much larger company. But I would say that my soft spot is in startups and scale-ups. Fantastic, Adrian. Can you tell us then a little bit about Ebate? What problems it solves for companies? What the software does? So I've joined Ebate in March this year as a CEO. Ebate is a SaaS-based fintech. The main problem that they solve is rebate management. Rebates, as we all know, are a sort of financial incentive or discount offered by manufacturers to the distributors and customers. I can give you some stats that show actually how important they are. In principle, around 60 to 70% of manufacturers offer some sort of rebate incentives. Distributors have rebate programs uh, with anywhere between 50 and 80% of their manufacturers. Generally, rebates make consumers anywhere between 70 and 80% more likely to make a purchase. So they are extremely important. And the problem and the clutch of the whole thing is there is some data that shows that of sometimes over $500 million in rebates go unfulfilled each year. So what our software or platform does, it offers a way to provide an accurate, insightful, actionable, and automated way of rebate management. We work in the B2B space and we work for manufacturers, distributors, suppliers, and retailers, all alike. That is an absolutely incredible number that you've just mentioned there of unclaimed rebates. So are there any particular industry sectors that are more affected than others? Are there some companies that are particularly uh, lacking in, in this field? Well, there are. I mean, certainly our, our targets, our markets, are around automotive, pharma. We work in retail also, and, you know, uh, trades. So those are areas which are very rebate strong in the sense that they, the value of the rebates out of their full value of their revenues is quite a big percentage. Yeah. 
And they want to make sure that all of that is very well accounted for. So far, all of that it's done on, well, traditionally it was done on spreadsheets. It was done on all sorts of other unstructured data, contracts in PDFs, emails, all of that. So what we want to do is we want to provide for each one of those companies a platform that has the ground truth of all that sort of rebate management activity. So they know at every point in time what's due, what comes in, when, and also play a little bit with this sort of incentivization programs and projects so they can maximize the impact on the revenues. Wonderful. You mentioned automotive there, Adrian, and I can imagine that the these processes and these systems get have become very old and very, over time in these large organizations. And the implementation is quite complex. So eBay is providing quite a high-level uh, SaaS solution. Would that be right? It is a high-level solution, but we go down into the whole and we understand all the complexities of the client's rebate system. And they can be very complex, yes. So for us, that's a challenge. And I think it's, it's a challenge for our clients because they were allowed to work in a certain way and they were not necessarily allowed, but they were, they were accustomed to work in a certain way. And we come and say, well, there is a better way to work. Uh, you'll see a lot of gain in terms of accuracy and in terms of time to manage those. But we also need to understand the complexities of their systems. And as you said, they can be very complex. Our system, though, is very adaptable. That's one of our USPs. And it can actually include all of that sort of complexity in our calculation engine and all the, the processes that are part of our workflow. Great. As you offer a, let's say, a relatively complicated uh, solution, I can imagine there's quite a lot of service involved in there as well and a lot of support involved as well. You must have a, a lot of experience with the challenges that are in the market at the moment. So it, it, some are saying it's a very tough market, budgets are being cut, companies are being very careful with what they invest in. So what challenges do you see for taking SaaS to market at the moment? Especially for our sector, there's, there's a few challenges. One of them is to convince the clients that there's a better way to do things. There's always a, there's a better way to do things from spreadsheets. Better way is to have an automated system like ours. It can save you time, it can save you money, it can give you insights. One of the challenges that we have is that very often there is a sort of lack of properly defined client requirements. So we have to work with our clients for quite a long time, both in the pre-sales mode, but also when we onboard them, to make sure that the data that they have is all brought together and then put into a format that our system understands and works with. So the lengthy onboarding process is certainly a challenge, especially in an era, in an era where everyone wants things very quick and very fast. Yeah. I would say that the market is maturing, but there is a certain amount of education and awareness that we need to do in order to make sure that our clients understand the benefits of our product. When we go into the market, we always have to rely on data. And, you know, the, the figures that I've given you are always figures that we use. We also look at the percentage of the rebate volume out of their full revenue. And we make a case around that. 
There are challenges around, generally for SaaS companies, challenges around the data, challenges around the security of the data. As we know very well, there have been a lot of data breaches. SaaS companies do rely on cloud. And with the increasing number of data breaches, we have to make sure that we comply with every regulation, uh, GDPR and all of those. We are very often audited quite strongly by our clients on the IT part and on the security. We are an ISO 27001 company. Uh, we have to do, we had to do that in order to provide that sort of trust to our clients. Then there are some challenges around scalability and infrastructure. We, as a company, rely on AWS platform. AWS is a great platform, but if you are not careful, your costs can just skyrocket. So you have to be very careful. There's a process of fine-tuning all of the time of our resources, of how we use our resources, how often we use our resources, how we optimize them. That optimization process for us is going, it's an ongoing process. So scalability and infrastructure is another challenge. Then there is a challenge of operability and integrations with other existing systems. For smaller scale-ups like ours, we're always having big established ERPs that constitute our competitors somehow in some areas. You have to very, very clearly understand what is our USP in that sort of competition. There is, as I said, a customer education and adoption, which is a big, important stuff in our system. And we've got also what I believe that for every company that wants to move the move from good to great is a customer experience. Uh, so one of the challenge is how do you actually create the smoothest, valuable, most valuable customer experience so that customers stay with you because in the long run, because they like the way you're, you're treating them. They like the way you go well beyond the others in the way you are, you are treating them, in the way you are doing everything from the moment you, you talk to them for the first time to the moment that they, they are constantly and continuously using your software. That journey has to be panned really, really well. That's absolutely brilliant. So we'll take a short break there. Future First is sponsored by SalesSource, B2B pipeline management and sales growth for your business. Adrian, that leads on perfectly to my next question, which is about your background as well, because you've, you know, from experience, you've got both a commercial and an operational background. Tell us about the importance of combining those two philosophies together and making that work well in an organization. You can't deliver a strong commercial value if the operations cannot support that. There is, to me, a two-way road between commercial and operations. We need to understand very well the request from the clients, so the commercial side, and we need to make sure that the operations that we're doing are fully adapted to that commercial values that we are selling to our clients. So knowing only one and knowing, not knowing the other doesn't work or it doesn't work so well. So for me, my role every day is to fine tune constantly the processes inside a company the communication between the departments, the way they work, the, the, the optimize those. But the actual goal of those operations is to provide the best commercial value and commercial experience for our clients. And in order to do that, I have to know 
what is that road? What is that commercial experience? I need to work with the sales and marketing people, with the people who are out there day in, day out, talking to the clients to understand what they need, how do they need those things? When do they need those things? What is real time for them? so that I can tailor the operations in such a way that we can deliver on time, on value to our clients. Adrian, you've worked in all kinds of organizations from large corporates also into scale-ups. Are there any key lessons that you'd like to tell the listeners today, whether that be starting up projects, commercial projects, or operational things? Are there any key lessons you've learned over the years? Yes, certainly. Both from building a company, but also working in companies, especially in the startup scale-up companies, there's a few things that I encounter and I had to consider as my main challenges and work with those. The first one is you have to be persistent. You have to persevere. Apart from life, probably startup world is the most non-linear experience that we can have. I think it was... I think it was Elon Musk was saying that starting a company is like looking into the abyss while eating glass. So don't um, quote from him very often, but I thought that that was quite an interesting quote. You have to make sure that all of the time you are prepared to pivot from small pivots to large pivots. You have to be adaptable. You have to understand the market very well. One of the philosophies I always have is that you are not better than the people who already have worked in those markets. No matter how many books you read, no matter how many times you spoke to your clients, you have to poach people who are actually have worked in that sort of market because they know the inside out of how those companies work. And we certainly in the company, we have people like that. We have business analysts who are, who have worked in our market and they know it very, very well. And you can't imagine what an advantage that is. You have to have a great team. To me, the, the most important stuff that binds a team together is good communication. I like that um, term of radical candor, and I try to impose that, not impose, but, but make that as one of the um, pillars of our communication. People should be allowed to talk freely and should be allowed to communicate openly as long as that communication is correct, is constructive and is decent and expresses a view that is that can be put out there for debate you should be well we should be i wouldn't say well funded but you should be funded enough not to all of the time think about the next round of investment because that can be pretty gritty and we know that the market out there is quite tough at the moment so having the ability to have some runaways in which you can focus on developing your product without necessarily every month thinking about, do I need to sell enough in order to cover my overheads? Do I need to make sure that I'm getting the next round of investment? Do I start talking to investment investors? That's quite a, an overhead generally for the sort of C-suite. So making sure that you are well-funded. And part of that well-funded thing is also making sure that your investors are brought in with you and are interested and in understanding what are your challenges all of the time. They don't like surprises. I've been on a lot of boards where there was a clear chasm between, between the board and the investors. And I, I think in the long run, that's not healthy. Yes. 
So making sure that your investors do understand what you're doing, do understand your vision, but also what are the pitfalls of your mission. That's very important. So communication with them is very important. Quite an inspiring answer there, Adrian, actually. So um, that really resonates with me and I'm sure a lot of other people that are listening as well. So there's two things there that uh, I think are actually uh, crucial. So the persistence and, and perseverance is incredibly important, isn't it? Especially during challenging times. I think something there that's really we should talk about a bit more is the communication because you have both the communication of the internal teams and having a very strong team that can communicate with one another very well. And then the external communication towards investors and shareholders and the wider market. So how do you balance those two things? Because that's that's quite a lot to do. Yes, it's a lot to do, but they are part of a continuum, in my opinion, uh, in the sense that Internally, people should be aware of what's happening externally. You should be frank with them. You, they should know, you know what is the situation, the real situation of the company. They should know what are the challenges that we face in the market. And you can even present those as a challenge to uh, overcome internally in the sense that, look, you can always say to, 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 to my team, the market is pretty difficult at the moment. But we've got very good supportive investors. That's great. Now, what do they want from us? They want us to deliver. They want us to make sure that the way we organize ourselves is in such a way that we can deliver on time and provide value for them. Also, whenever you meet them on a board meeting or something like this, you have to be frank about you know, what are the challenges inside the teams. What are the areas that are not working really well? Certainly, you have to provide actions to that. You have to tell them what the actions will be, but you have to be frank with them. Because at the end of the day, those challenges are happening in any company. The difference between a successful one and one, one which is not successful is how you approach them and how quickly you can deliver you know, value from, overcome those challenges and deliver value. And I think that that's why I'd say it's a continuum. So what you're, what you're telling the internal team has implications on what you're telling the external board and investors and vice versa. So I don't believe that those two are separate. So my communication just goes over the whole spectrum of, of shareholders. And I believe that the teams are shareholders as much as possible as the, uh, as much as, as the investors. We are all creating that sort of value for the company. So we are all shareholders in the success of that company. And that's a message that I always try to, to give people. So that's, that's a way to, to deal with that. Adrian, brilliant. What does the future hold for Ebate? Where is the uh, company heading in the next uh, months and years? So the company is growing. It's growing very nicely at the moment. We had some platform technological things that we have to overcome, but we are in the process of doing that. Our clients are sticking with us. As I said, we've got quite important B2B clients. We've got a roadmap that we hope that will take us to a position where we can be part, if not the leaders of in this sort of space, but certainly part of the top players in the space. And our roadmap always comes from, not from the 
technological feasts that we can actually come up with. But from how do we make the client's life easier? How do we make the client's life, their work, more insightful, more actionable? And we pan that out into a, into a timeline, into a roadmap. We've got some interesting areas which we want to develop in all the three main workflow parts of our software in the ingestion of the data onboarding of the clients, in the way we, and the complexity of our cal- calculation engine and how we compute those rebates, but also in the way we report that. We're also looking very carefully at machine learning. We are sitting on quite a lot of data, so we could actually use the power of that to provide not only what they have to do right now, which our system does very well, but also how can they look into the future? So the whole prediction stuff, it's an area that we will consider and we are considering at the moment. What I like about eBay is the fact that there is a great product market fit. And as long as we deliver on that, as long as our delivery is on time, as long as we keep our clients engaged, not only with what we can do very well right now, but what we will do for them in a year's time, two years' time, I think that we've got a good path to become one of the leaders in this space. Wonderful, Adrian. We look forward to seeing the future developments of eBay, and I'm delighted that we could get you on to the podcast today. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Justin. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in and making the choice to listen to this podcast. If you liked what you've heard today, please don't forget to subscribe. 